0: Welcome to the Opawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Actually, it was really funny when we got together and decided to do this uh, combined service. I think the first question that was asked was, Who's going to preach? And without even thinking twice, all the fingers were pointed at me. I was like, What? <laughs> me? <laughs> Why? Because they talk a lot? What? Yeah, no. But yeah, they chose me, which was quite funny. So now I'm up front here, and I thought, okay, I better get an idea of you know, what you guys feel like, because it's different churches represented here, and I wanted to make sure that you know, I'm preaching you know, on the same line. So I asked some people at uh, Oxford Terrace, and I said, how does Chris preach? And the response was, Chris preaches? I asked Ireland, and, and they said, yeah, Rob goes for about 50 minutes. I was like, really? Oh, And, and, and let's not talk about Jace. He's up there anyway. Oh, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Um, so I figured about an hour, an hour and a half talking up front would be good for us all, right? <laughs> I was wondering how many amens I'd get to that one. Um, when I was a kid, um, my, my parents uh, condemned me to my first school which happened to be Wiley Park Primary School. It's a little suburb in southwest Sydney. And um, they always thought that, you know, being the oldest boy in in an Italian family, I was the pinnacle. I was the the smartest, the gorgeous child that I was. And so they sent me to school, and I have a lot of photographic memories of that period, which was quite embarrassing, because your parents are following you with cameras, taking photos of you as you're walking into school, Yeah, isn't it funny? That's the only thing you remember of your first day at school. Um, But, you know, after about three months at the school, I uh, stole three Tonka trucks. Do you guys have Tonka trucks here? Yeah, I stole three of them. I kicked a teacher and I ran away from school twice. So my parents had to revisit this gorgeous, intelligent, smart kid that they had. And Dad thought, well, we've got to do something about this. He's turning into a criminal. Um, So they sent me to a Catholic school called Regina Chaley which happens to have the same name of a famous prison in Rome. (laughs) Coincidence? I don't know. Um, Nuns ran this school. and um, It's funny because today, if you smack your kid, you could get into serious trouble, right? Uh, Especially here in New Zealand. You guys are pretty uptight about it. You smack your kid, it's all smacking again. These nuns would beat us. Not just with hands. They would use canes, sticks, chairs, tables... And you'd think these nuns were really small, docile. Man, they move fast. I mean, they—I mean, you wouldn't realize that you'd be sitting at the table, you start talking, next thing you know, a ruler will hit you in the back of the... You're like, where did that come from? Um, it was pretty intense. And, you know, the funny thing about that is, this was my first immersion into Christianity. This was my first experience of religion. My parents weren't Christian. They, they didn't believe in anything. They just thought, hey, nuns could look after this boy. So they thought, that's a good school. We'll send him there. And so here I am, just dropped in. And these nuns were pretty rough. And, and so, you know, it's funny, but that actually kind of paints a picture of what Christianity is about. But they weren't the worst thing. The worst thing for me as a six-year-old was Jesus. Because right next to the school was this big church. And as a six-year-old, you walked in and it was huge. It was cavernous. And up the front was this big crucifix, life-size. And as a little kid, you look up to it. And there was this Jesus on the cross kind of looking up. And it was freaky. It's scary. You know, you are looking at it and go, oh, I've got to worship him. You know, and, and then right behind it, there were these two portraits of Jesus with those eyes that follow you no matter where you sat in that church. Anyone had that experience? As a little kid, you kind of sat over here. He's still looking at me. He's still looking at me. I'd have nightmares about this, absolute nightmares. I'm thinking, who wants to worship this guy? I mean, I can understand. They're all afraid of him. Um, So it wasn't a very positive experience. The only person in my home who was somewhat religious was my grandmother, and she was uh, Greek Orthodox. And every Sunday morning she had this chalice, this gold chalice that she would fill with incense, And she'd walk around the house kind of mumbling in Greek prayers And it smelled the whole house out And we as kids kind of liked the smell, so we thought it was kind of cool But one day I asked my grandmother, what what are you doing that for? And she said, well, this is incense It's to cleanse the house and get rid of the evil spirits And of course, something just kind of lit up in my head And I thought, really? She goes, yeah I said, can you do my room? And she's like, you want me to go? Yeah, go, go in my room. And so the moment she walked into my room, I grabbed the door and slammed it shut and held it. And my grandmother was knocking on the door, What are you doing? Let me out. No, no, get under the bed because there's definitely evil spirits the- and the closet too. And my mum walks around the corner and she's like, what are you doing? My grandmother, she's, she's cleansing my room of evil spirits. Let her out. You know, the poor thing. You know, she comes out and this billow of smoke comes out and almost well, knocks us off our feet. And that was great for the next few years knowing that all the spirits had been cast out of my, my room. But that was my experience of Christianity growing up. And what was really funny was my parents even though they weren't religious, guess when they went to church? Christmas and Easter. Which was kind of scary too because Christmas was always in the evening and that portrait of Jesus, even at nighttime, kept watching it. But you know, you deal with this stuff and you think, why? Well, because that's what you do. You go to church on Christmas and on Easter. And now a question I want to ask you is, do you think Jesus cares whether you go to church on Christmas or Easter? Who wants to answer that one? Nobody. Do you think he cares? So why do we put so much emphasis on these events these calendaring events where we get everybody to go to church what's the point you know somebody asked me once Rob why didn't Jesus just die when he was born you know if all we're interested in is the birth and his death and resurrection, well, he could have just died, you know, right when he was born. In fact, you know, Herod, the king at the time, you know, found out that there was a, a, a king that was born, and he went a little bit loopy and thought, I'm going to kill all the kids under the age of two, which must have mucked up the whole school system in that country completely. That's where my mind goes, you know, I'm thinking fourth grade, there's no fourth grade. But, you know, that, that's what's happening here. He goes out and kills him. Now, do you think Jesus would have accomplished what needed to be done by dying then? Perfect sacrifice. He could have resurrected, right? But no, he chose to live a full life. So when I challenged my mother years ago and said, Mom, it's not just about Christmas and Easter, but everything in between. Everything in between. You with me? It's about everything in between. You see, even us seasoned Christians, we tend to take this kind of approach of calendaring our Christianity, calendaring our relationship with Jesus, as though it's it's just kind of interrupting real life, you know? Oh, okay, I've got to go and go to church, or hey, you know, it's Christmas time, I need to go to church, I need to go meet with Jesus, get that over and done with and get back to real life, right? For some of us, it's become a weekly thing. Oh, I'll go to church on Sunday. Hey, I'm going to go meet Jesus, and then I've got to get back to real life. You with me? Sometimes that's the way we are. Even seasoned Christians, we fall into this trap. But here's the catch. 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. You confess that Jesus, hey, he, you're here today celebrating a person who's raised from the dead. And if you believe that, you are not your own. You're bought at a price. My wife, uh, a few months ago, bought me this. What, how do you call this in Maori? The greenstone? Yeah, there's a word for it. I, I have no idea what it means. Um, I'm I'm an ignorant foreigner, (laughs) forgive me Um, But this doesn't define me, right? I, I was born and raised in Australia But being Australian doesn't define me My parents were both immigrants, my dad's Italian And of course, I like pasta Actually, I like anything to do with pasta even anti-pastor, that's great stuff. okay. But that doesn't define me. My identity has to be in Jesus. My identity has to be in Jesus. Jesus must become your identity, not your accessory. It's not something we wear around our necks, or we tick a box, or we walk into a shop and say, I've done this. Stamp, walk out. He has to become our Identity Going further, in 2 Corinthians, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ is what? Become a new person. What's happened to the old life? Gone. Wally Park, you're out of here. Regina, Charlie, gone. I am a new person. I am a new person. We're supposed to love Jesus so much that he... Is what defines us He is what defines you and me He defines us You know we get so caught up In these one-off events Even us, we Baptists And I'm not taking a dig at Baptists Well I do every week but anyway We measure how many baptisms we have a year which is all good and well But that doesn't define us When I first got here At power, the five years previously We had 15 baptisms, 11 of those people Aren't in church or not walking with Christ anymore You know If we count up the baptisms every year We must be going really well It's one off events Where we stop and say hey we've done this Tick the box, move on But that's not what we're about We're not just about the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus. We're holy about Jesus. We're holy about Jesus. um, I'm going back to food, which is my favorite topic. Um, In the States, we lived there for a few years, and if you go to a restaurant in the States, the main course is called the entree, which is really confusing for an Italian. Because, you know, we, we you know in, in French, l'entrée, which is the first, you know, the first plate in Italian, il primo piatto, or even in Spanish, el primo, it's your first plate. Which, by the way, pasta is always an entree. If you're having it as a main, you're eating too much of it. Which I always have it as a main. But anyway, <laughs> something you've learnt this morning. There you go. Um, but they call it the entree. And so I asked, well, what, what do you call your first meal? Well, we call them starters. That's confusing to me. But you know what? We've done that as the church, haven't we? The main issue, the main point, the main reason we're here has kind of disappeared. And the decisions or the events have become the main event, the big issue, the big deal. The entree has become the main course. You know? Let's go to church. Let's make commitments to Christ. Let's get baptised. Let's do all these things. Let's tick all the boxes. Then we let everything go. And that's it. Full stop. We've done it. Move on. And we've left out the main course. We've left it out completely. There's a problem with that. What good is it, people, to just have a faith, but you're not really actually living that faith. You're not showing it every day. You're not living it. What's it worth to you just believing? Really? Really? They profess to know God, but their lifestyles are just not right. They're not living God. They're not living Jesus. It's all good and well to believe. It's all good and well to go to church on Sunday. It's all good and well to be here on Easter and on Christmas and have these great celebrations. But they have to be the entree, not the main course. Let's love, not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's actually do something about it. Let's live it week to week. Let the Sunday service be the apex the representation, the, 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 the coming together. But that's not the be-all and end-all. That's just the entree. That's the starter. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. As for the Lord and not for men. And this is what I'm trying to get at. We have to be very intentional about our relationship with Christ. We have to be intentional about growing in Christ. I'm intentional about eating, and I've grown in eating. It shows, right? Hey, I could say this about myself. I'm pr- oh, well, no, I'm proud of it, but it should be the same way in our relationship with Christ. If I'm growing in Christ, I show it, right? Don't I? It's not about what I do here on a Sunday. I could preach to the heavens every Sunday. I could go to any church mass or whatever you want to call it, any time. I could tick all the boxes, but does that mean I'm intentionally growing in Christ? Intentionally growing is hard work. It's by definition intentional. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me. And be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus has not called you to go to church. He has not even called you to be a Christian. He has called you to follow him. He has called you to walk alongside him. He has called you to grow in him. He has called you to let him in to your life and let him reign. Everything else falls into place. Everything else is right when we're right with Jesus. Now today, something like that would be pretty difficult to do, wouldn't it? Who's prepared to drop their job right now and follow Jesus? There's one hand. He just wants to leave the church. Hey, <laughs> you've got a whole bunch of guys back there. <laughs> Who's prepared to drop their job and follow Jesus? We always speak metaphorically, don't we? We always speak metaphorically, but what does it really mean? What does it really mean? Well, this is what it means. Jesus wants you To live like he did, to love like he did, to do the things he did. That's what he wants you to do. He doesn't want you just to believe in him. He wants you to live like him. He wants you to love like him. He wants you to do the things he did. And you know what? If you do that, you'll end up doing the things he did. You'll end up loving the way he loved, and you'll end up living the way he lived. Who here believes that Jesus is real? Oh, some hands. Mate, is that a trick question? Is he going to point me out? My people are used to me doing this to them, so don't worry. Is it Really? Uh, yeah, I think he's real. I believe he's real. And if I believe he's real, that means, he's, means he exists, even here and now. So I'm not talking about a Jesus who existed. I believe in a Jesus who exists. And so that puts me in a very peculiar position. If I believe he exists and he is here now, then I better act like he is here and now. And like he's a real person, just like Amanda is up front here with me. As a real person. That I choose to follow. That I choose to follow. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, I'm using the message version because... I love it. He says, Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, making them, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Right up till the end of the age We put so much emphasis Just mentally, physically Into those calendared moments of Christianity What am I talking about? Christmas, Easter What am I talking about? Salvation, bringing people to Christ Making the commitment But we forget that as entrees They're only there to serve the main meal As we Italians do Our entrees are a very short period of time they're enough for us to just gobble down so that we could have the real meal together and communicate and talk and make a feast out of it. But we as Christians put so much emphasis on those first decisions, on those moments, those calendars, that we forget that being a follower of Christ is a lifetime deal. It's a lifetime deal. Salvation costs you nothing, nothing at all. But following Jesus will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. Salvation occurs in a moment. Following Jesus will take a lifetime. It's it's like the Christian calendar. It never stops. But what we're interested in is everything in between. Salvation is something God does for you. Being his disciple is something you do with God. And the challenge I want to put at your feet this morning is, hey, it's Easter. Hey, we're together. These are great things. But where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? Where are you at in your walk with him? Is it a calendaring moment? Is it just an entree? Or is he truly the main meal of your life? Is he everything to you? Is he every part of you? It's 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 interesting how Jesus doesn't just come to save us. Being confident of this that he who began a good work will carry it out till the very end. He doesn't stop. He keeps working. He keeps working, he keeps working. And here's the catch it's not easy being a follower of Jesus. Who here can tell me it's easy being a follower of Jesus? There's nothing easy about it. It's not even easy being in a church when you're surrounded by other Christians. Who can say amen to that? I mean, this is supposed to be easy. We're in church, we all believe the same thing. Yeah, right. Who finds that difficult? different expressions. Hey, you know, it doesn't go without a Sunday without someone having to comment about the worship or, or what I've said up front or, you know, how I'm dressed. Actually, I'm dressed really well. My mother dressed me. Um, those of you who are power know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I've just been to Sydney recently and when I come back from Sydney, I'm looking good. It's because my mother's frightful of the fact that I'm not dressed well on a Sunday. But these are just superficial things. These aren't what really make us. As I was saying before, unity Not uniformity. It's not easy. And Jesus doesn't make it easy for us. I mean, you read a verse like this and you think, oh my goodness, what? Huh? I must hate everyone else. What? Aren't you Jesus, the Jesus of love, and you're telling me to hate? My children, my mother and father, my wife, my brothers and sisters, even my own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. What is he talking about there? He's talking about him being the main course of your life. He is numero uno, number one. And he has to be the main course of not just us as individuals, but us as a church, us as a wider body. He has to be the core of what makes us move. The thing that frustrates me the most is when people read books and jump on that and say, hey, they say this, we need to be doing this. I'm like, well, what does Jesus say? can can we ask him? Because, you know, seeing as we're following him, I mean, I don't mind reading a good book or I don't mind what a great church is doing down the road. That's good stuff. But that doesn't mean we have to do what they're doing or or we all have to be following something else. We just have to be following Jesus. And if we're following Jesus, you know what? Unity becomes a little bit easier. And it doesn't matter whether I'm from Oxford Terrace or or from Ireland or from wherever. If we're following Jesus, hey, Grace abounds. So what's he saying here? Who is the Lord of your life? Who is the main course of your life? Have you relegated Jesus just to a side act? Are you running your life or are you able to give that up? Are you able to step back and say... You're in control, Lord. It's not just Easter. It's not just Christmas. I believe you, and now I want to live it. Are you prepared to live it? Are you prepared to turn your cell phone off (laughs) and give your life to the Lord? Are you prepared to make that commitment? Are you prepared? Karen Watson, who worked out of our church back in the States, decided to give up her life for Christ. But she took it to an incredible degree. She not only gave her life up for the Lord, but she decided to go out and do missionary work. She literally gave up her life. So she followed a a, uh, Christian organisation to Iraq. And while... Many people were spending their time bombing the country. Her job was providing water to the schools. Uh, so she and a group of three others were digging wells and, and purify, getting purification systems in place so that the kids who were being bombed out of everywhere had somewhere to drink. Well, insurgents stepped up and killed her and her three companions. And she died aged, I think it was about 23 at the time. And, and she knew that going to Iraq, she may lose her life. So she wrote a letter and left it with the head of her organization and asked her to read it if anything happened to her. And this is her letter I wasn't called to a place, I was called to Him. To obey was my objective, to suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. Now she says here the missionary heart, but you know what I'm going to say? The Jesus heart. The Jesus heart cares more than something is wise, risks more than something is practical, expects more than something is possible. I was not called to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus. And serving him. Now you tell me, are those powerful words? Because they're not just words. You know what makes them powerful? They come from a person who's actually lived them and gave their life for them. So the question I have for you is, how is it 2,000 years ago a small band of Christians from some insignificant town in some insignificant country was able to shake up the world. And today we have 2.5 billion Christians and we can't seem to change even our own communities. What's happened? What's happened to us? Maybe Pete's right. What are we listening to? What, what, what are the noises that are drowning out that still, small voice? What, what is it? Because there's only one person I know that's raised from the dead. And you're here today celebrating something that is quite extraordinary. And if you believe in that something that's quite extraordinary there may be something extraordinary that needs to happen in your life. Now, I'm not asking you all tomorrow to run out and leave your jobs and, and run off to Iraq or Afghanistan or, or, or whatever. I don't know what God is calling you to. Now, to Karen, he called her to that. And she obeyed. The question is, what is God calling you to? And are you willing to give everything up for that calling? Don't you worry about your wife and kids. The day I walked into... (laughs) I was at university in my last year of medical science. And the Lord called me into full-time ministry. I had to go show up and turn to my wife and say, Honey, that doctorate that I was thinking of getting, I'm going to go into full-time ministry, which means we're going to be poor for the rest of our lives. And we're going to be dealing with people for the rest of our lives. And, and there's never going to be any peace in our house for the rest of our lives. And business meetings and all this kind of... And she's just looked at me and she goes, it's about time. Don't be surprised. Don't say people's responses for them. If God is calling you, he's speaking to their hearts as well. So don't be worried about your wife and kids or your husband and kids. Because you'll find it very surprising when you do turn to them that God has already been speaking to them as well. You with me? So it's Easter. We celebrate the risen Lord. We lift him up high. He is our God. He is our saviour. But what does that mean? Is it a box to tick? Is it a side project in our lives? Tomorrow we just get back into the real life? Or do we carry it in our hearts? And do we allow it to change us? So that not only do we believe... We actually live it. Amen to that. Let's be Pentecostals for once, huh? Amen? Let's hear it loud. Amen? Amen. Amen. No hand wavings, please. Keep your hands down. <laughs> what is this? I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. We're going to sing a couple of songs, and then Rod is going to come up and do the benediction. As we sing the songs, you, you don't have to sing. Listen to the words, let God speak to you If you want to sing, belt it out, go for it But in this time, I want to challenge you You're here today because you acknowledge Easter You're here today because you acknowledge Christ, the risen Lord How powerful is that in your life? That's the challenge